If you're an entrepreneurial public servant, this podcast is for you. Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward taxpayer investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA, and I'm back with uh, part two of our episode with my man, Mike uh, Iron. Mike Stedman. What's up, Mike? What's going on, BJ? Always a pleasure to be here and to keep this conversation going. And pleasure bring- is all mine. I figured we'd start uh, part two of this interview by picking up exactly where we left off on part one, which is the culture at MCFA and how you've gone about crafting it. And as someone on the other side of the microphone, you know, who's been able to see some of your amazing team uh, be interviewed, they all seem very multifaceted. Right. Like they bring a lot of knowledge and skills and expertise. But this is not um, it appears in my perspective that this this skill set was developed and cultivated over time, that not everybody came into the culture like knowing exactly how to do this job. But they've evolved into that role over time. So I, I think your listeners could benefit from learning how you've built that into your culture. So. All right. A lot to unpack there. Um, where should we start? <clears throat> let, let me start by saying I, I think most founders are responsible for the original culture. So I have to give credit where credit's due, which is to Michael Furman, who founded the company with his wife, Becky, in 2003. I came here in 2012. So I think a lot of what we strive to be, aspire to be, and and what the culture is was started with him. Uh, I think he would give me credit for um, I guess enhancing it. Uh, I think it, it was always here. The type of people we got, Michael is, uh, Michael is two things. So Michael was a big Penn state Joe Pop fan. So he, he always said we, uh, for customer service, we only hire people that have worked for tips in their lives because they know how to work for tips. Uh, and that's that, I think that highlights customer service. And the second part is we recruit linebackers. So because consulting is really problem solving and problem solving is really problem identification, we need people that do have multifaceted backgrounds. So I, I think that gave us the base and the foundation. And then, uh, when he named me managing principal of the company, uh, he and I wanted to get on the same page, um, taking over somebody's business, running somebody's business that they, you know, built to the point that we had it at that point, um, is, is not an easy thing. So we worked, we worked through a number of different processes. Uh, but one of the things that came out of our discussions was getting alignment around core values. And I think I I referenced it in the last episode, Gino Wickman, Entrepreneurial Operating System, Traction is a, is a book. There's there's a number of books uh, about entrepreneurial operating system. But core values was like the the rallying point that we started saying, like, what what do our best employees embody? What do we want our best employees to embody? And I I was big on culture. Uh, from the beginning, because I wanted to be intentional about it. And I thought that if we were going to grow the company, we had to be intentional about it. And the only way you're intentional about it is to recruit people that 
that kind of align with our core values. So Gina Wickman talks about core values plus GWC. GWC, like I, I, I referenced last time, uh, get it, want it, and the capacity to do it. Core values were a little harder. So we, we kind of looked at what do our best employees embody? What do we want our employees to embody? And we came up with a list of five. So we have uh, teamwork. I always say teamwork makes the dream work. We have fun. And I think fun is an underserved core value in the business world. Um, and I think it's it's people lying to themselves about like they're they're just trading time for money, right? They're and and they'd rather take a bigger paycheck and just muddle through than to come in and enjoy the work. So we don't hire for money. We hire for people who love the business that we're doing and love serving our clients and doing the project work we that we do. So. Uh, we don't want people who trade time for money. Um, intentional creativity and curiosity. So because, because we're always solving different problems, dealing with different types of clients, we need people that uh, are, are voracious readers, that are life learners, that, you know, that you're not coming in here and making widgets and doing the same widget every day. You have to be somebody that's very curious about the world and how to improve it and always asking, well, why do we do it that way? How can we do it better? Um, and then I, like I mentioned, customer service, white glove customer service. Uh, we liken it to, you know, what would a Four Seasons or a Disney World experience look like in a consulting engagement? Um, how do we show that, you know, front-facing, client-facing, responsiveness, um, make them feel like a customer, not just a, a client that's getting billed. And so those are four. I'm missing one. I usually have them right behind me so I can reference them. Uh, intentional creativity, customer service, teamwork, white glove customer service, and fun. Maybe I did hit them all. Maybe. Was that five? All right. So anyway, I think that if if we are to build the culture and and I think building the culture right now is a little easier than what it's going to be as we grow right we have it's I always compare the marine corps to the uh to the army the marine corps is a little smaller right so they control their message a whole lot better and and they get that buy in and they get everybody drinking the juice uh they're well branded army bigger organization a whole lot more uh complex and not as tight in that esprit de corps. So as we scale, I think that's where we as a company have to be, and we as a company, me as the leader of the company, have to be that much more intentional about those core values and, and helping our team. But all of our HR practices, hiring, recruiting, rewarding, retaining, all rally around the five core values plus GWC. Get it, want it, and the capacity to do it. Um, but I, I appreciate you asking the question. I, and I, I'm glad, you know, you've gotten a witness talking to a couple of our team members. I do think that, um, they, they have bought into our culture. And I think that, I think that if more leaders focused on that, like at the end of the day, you have to get the work done, right? Like everybody has to get the mission done, but there's, there's a more enjoyable way to do it. And I think the more enjoyable, like not everybody's going to get along with me, but if everybody shares my core values, I think they will 
get along with me when we're working. And I think if, if I share those core values, you know, we, we just start to build this foundation of, of trust and teamwork that, that allows for um, success. For our listeners, can you give them a, a, a not I want to say a breakdown, but just a rough estimate of how many employees you have at MCFA? Uh, so we have about 25 employees, plus or minus. We have some advisors. We have some 1099s. We have some small business partners that almost act like uh, employees. So, you know, 25 FTEs and then another uh, probably dozen on-call partners in some way, shape, or form. So that's a lot of people. <clears throat> and a lot of people have different goals, dreams, aspirations. They've got their families. They've got their professional aspirations. And you as a CEO of the company, you're like the dream manager, right, at the end of the day. So you talked about your core values and using that to set the base. You talked about buy-in. You encourage them to, uh, you know, read books or whatever. But let's lean more into the buy-in. How have you pulled the best out of them to rise to the occasion? You know, because when you ask an employee to step into a role that they may or may not be trained for and to figure it out, where does that buy-in come from? How are you cultivating it? Let's go back to, all right, so our our why, our mission at MCFA is to inspire people in places. That's where we got the name for the uh, podcast, probably worth mentioning. Um, and inspiring people in places, it's, I, I think it's, would you call it a play on words? The whole point of the podcast is we want to be bringing on inspiring people in places that are then, to our listeners, inspiring those people and the places that they're at. And we think the same thing of MCFA. So inspiring people in places to me means inspiring people is our employees, our clients, and our clients' team. Inspiring places is the facilities we work in, the organizations we work for. So, all right, we might have 30, 40 employees, but we're working for agencies that have hundreds, sometimes thousands of employees, project teams at least that have you know, 10, 20, 30 people. So how do we get buy-in? And I think what you're talking about is like we have we're we're trying to be very intentional about our people pipeline. Uh, how do people find out about us? How do they get interested in us? And I, I'm talking not clients, but recruits um, through our podcast, through our email, through project interactions and partnering. Uh, how do they find out about us? How do they then get into our our sphere of influence and, and maybe become interested in an opportunity if and when it comes available, uh, which by the way, I'm always hiring. If you're talented and you're identifying with anything we're talking about and you think you could uh, fit in here, I'd rather, I'd rather talk to you than wait for us to uh, put an announcement out there. But <clears throat> I, if, if you haven't read the book, the flywheel, I always think of our company's flywheel um, as you know, we bring a client in, we we kind of activate them so they, they find out about us somehow, some way, maybe through a contract vehicle, maybe through some of our our online social media and, and email podcasts, similar to an employee. We activate them, they go through, they get handed off to a senior project leader. So our senior project leader is really like the COO of that client. Uh, and they they are required to, using teamwork, Tell us what resources they need to go serve that client uh, as best as possible. But what the result of what we do, the end of our flywheel is 
most people focus on raving fans, right? Raving fans are usually your clients that are telling another client who are going to tell another 10 clients about how good this company is. The other raving fan I want, and and I always, I don't call it happy employees. I call it fulfilled employees. People want to be challenged. They don't want to be broken. They want to be stretched and they want to be, they want to be stretched by somebody who believes that they can succeed. And I find this to be the hardest part of small business, which is giving people enough um, new challenge, new work, new client, new problem set that they have to figure some things out on their own. Because back to what I said before, we're not, we're not making widgets here, right? We're not, we're not making the same thing every day. We are responding to a very dynamic environment of organizational politics, leadership challenges, uh, the contractual nonsense that can go on in, in many of our bureaucratic clients. And I say that lovingly, uh, the financial constraints that we deal with. So we're, we're constantly reacting and responding to that environment. So you want to give your employees enough challenge that they got to figure it out on their own, but not so much that they feel lost in the sauce and there's nobody here helping them. And, and maybe sometimes you want them to feel lost in the sauce so that they know, they recognize, Hey, this is where I'm going to need help. Um, I think that's, I think that's the process. And as a small business, every new client, especially when the challenge is a little complex, you, you want to put your, you know, your A players on it. Well, if you're always putting it, let's just say I have one A player. I can't just keep putting that A player on all of the jobs that come in, that A player is going to get burned out. So we have to create a system for scaling up A players. One is recruiting. Two is training. We train every week, one hour a week for for all of our junior staff, um, mid-level and junior staff, one hour a month for all of our senior staff. Uh, we call it MCFA University. So we go over the MCFA way, the MCFA DNA, the MCFA why, core values, um, the MCFA how, the MCFA what. We go into some very specific project examples um, about what to do in different scenarios. We go down to the tactical level of, in, in our business, project meeting minutes. What happens at a meeting? A whole bunch of people talk about a whole bunch of different things and as as much as our military training, you and I may think that like, all right, at the end of the meeting, everybody's saying, all right, what are the next action items? Who's who's responsible? The lack of intentionality around that in America, <laughs> in our industry, for sure, in America, like I train our team, if you control the meeting minutes, you control the project. Like that's, that's management 101. Um, figuring out who's responsible for what and by when and keep the project rolling. Uh, so we, I think our training is one of the, and I say this, not, not being on the other side and saying we're there and we are the standard, but saying that best practices say all organizations need to be training all of the time. And therefore we are being very intentional about it. 
one of my goals is to be even more intentional about what is that curriculum and, and let's get let's get an annual curriculum for the senior project leaders and let's get a quarterly curriculum for all the junior staff because people need to be reminded more often than they need to be taught what we're uh, what we're talking about. So did I answer your question, Mike? You did. And <laughs> I, what I want you to do for our audience is do you mind defining to them what an A player is? I know we can use these terms. But on the outside, people are like, I hear you talking about an A player. They have an assumption of what it is, but let's let them know what an A player is. All right. So an A player is somebody. <laughs> I So I posted something recruiting A players, right? And and a classmate of mine makes a comment on LinkedIn like, oh, everybody wants A players. And the answer to that is, yeah, I, I get it. But when you're. When you're in corporate America, I'm gonna be like I'm I'm gonna bash on them for a second. Um, I don't think you have all A players. Everybody, you know, even at Amazon, right? Big big company, you can't possibly be growing that quickly and have all A players coming in the door all the time. Um, so A players to me in our small business. Are, are first and foremost completely bought into the vision, right? Like they hear something when I talk about who we are, what we are, why we do what we do, how we do what we do. They're hearing it and they're feeling it, right? So A player one is a core value match. Two, believes in the why and the vision. Three, to the point of GWC, gets it, wants it, and has the capacity to do whatever it is we're asking them to do. So they're the right person for the right seat in the organization. Um, and you know that goes back to being very intentional about recruiting process and and what is that person's um, what's that person's role and responsibility? What are their KPIs? What are their rocks that are helping us improve as an organization or delivering to our clients? But the key part of A players is they're, you know, I, I define them as ninjas, right? Like when, when you have an A player, you know, they follow through all the time. They're consistent. They're, you know, they're everything you want in an employee in our, in our organization. But the great thing about A players is they're not afraid of other A players. And I think that's the most powerful piece is like they get stoked when talent walks in the room and like everybody knows when talent walks in the room, we want to talk to them uh, because we want to be building our bench with talent. If you get C players, they don't want to be, they don't want anybody around them to be better than them. So C players don't recruit B players or A players. C players recruit D players uh, because they want to like, man, it's job security, whatever. A players are like, give us the best and brightest. I, CEO of the company. If I find the right person to replace me, I'll go in the owner's box or I'll go R&D the next, you know, the next client base or the next vertical that we need to break into. Um, so, I mean, I am always looking for, for talent. Um, what did I miss on a player definition, Mike? No, I think that was great. And I think okay. you really brought it home with this idea of a players want to be around other a players because they're trying to win a championship. Exactly. They're not worried about their own personal stats. They're worried about, hey, we want to win a championship. So I, I think our listeners will appreciate you breaking that down. The other thing I want you to talk about is MCFA University. 
right? Now, we understand you come from a military background, West Point trained, tenant colonel in the Army Reserves, but where did you get that? Or let me rephrase this. Did you learn that setting up MCFA University? Or did you just come in one day and were like, we're going to train everyone and, and talk us through that? I'm trying to think back to where the idea came from. I, 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 I'm pretty sure it was my idea, but I'll be careful. I'm sure it was in a, a quarterly or an annual review. And I think what we realized was we did have some skill gaps and some of those skill gaps were internal to our company processes. And, and we were bringing on new team members that we didn't even have standard operating procedures, right? We had, again, everybody thinks West Point grad, I'm, I'm going to be like totally locked down. I'm not, right? Uh, and when you're taking over a company or, or when you're in a company, you're fighting to live. So all of the on the business work kind of gets sh- shoved to the side to keep keep the projects coming in. So even though slowing down and and documenting some of that stuff does allow you to speed up, it's just not right in front of you. Uh, another bash on corporate America, uh, we don't have the overhead to pay for all that, that extra stuff. Um, so the MCFA university stemmed from, you know, a problem we were having. Like, man, we, we don't have everybody on the same page here. How do we get it? And we, I just started teaching. I just said 4.30 on Tuesdays every week. And, and I'm actually, as a recruiting mechanism, I'm contemplating opening that up to industry-wide. Um, in particular, like a, a uh, what were we calling it? Basically, soldiers to construction or, or, or DOD to construction, opening up for like scholarship. Like just start learning about the construction industry, learn about us. You'll learn something. Maybe you'll land with us and you'll be a little more prepared. Um, but it, it really just came about from the need and knowing that like we have to prioritize training. And the best way to do it is just put it on the calendar weekly. How long have y'all been implementing this? We're in our second quarter on that. So as of January 1st, we started. So as a leader, you come up with this idea. You're like, we're going to start MCFA University. I'm going to start teaching. And then you get in there and talk to us about the discipline to stay consistent with it, right? Like you put it on the calendar, 430. You got to plan the curriculum. You got to make sure everything's going. But, you know, two quarters deep, talk to us about that discipline to, to – see it through um it's it's not easy we're 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 improving it though right so i'm a just get started guy right very proof of concept high quick start like let's stop talking about and let's just start doing and um the friday the friday after my assistant lisa she says all right what are you going to teach next week um, now finally, that was all the, the, the whole first quarter. I had some ideas and like anytime I had ideas, I would, I would shoot them to her and we, we tried to pair it up with a tool, um, so that there was something, you know, something tangible that basically a worksheet when people were coming in. Uh, and then 301, because it's the senior project leaders, Brian people our COO, he and I have split some of that training because, I want him to be hitting really hard as a COO. Our senior project leaders, we really look at them as mini COOs. I want him grooming them 
to to understand what the responsibilities of a COO are. And it's not unlike, you know, project management. It's it's schedule, budget, it's the business of the business, it's understanding marketing and sales and contract vehicles, um, scoping and and things like that. So as we improve this quarter, it's about being a little more intentional. And the end of the quarter, we want a curriculum that's laid out in a book for the next six months. So come half the year, you know, halfway through the year, we plan to have a curriculum that's looking out six months in advance. And the reason I like you talking about this is it gets to that entrepreneurial public servant mindset of, you know, you're not just talking about something, you're actually getting out there and you're figuring it out and you're making mistakes, but you're building this from scratch. You didn't come into the company with MCFA University. You saw a problem, you came up with a solution, and then you started to execute on it and you refine it as you go along. Now, as we wrap up this talk on culture, I want you to talk about the email you sent out last week, which is this concept of just-in-time talent, <laughs> how that applies to your industry. Um, I, I wish I had it in front of me. Um, so just-in-time talent. All right. Th- this is – I've been thinking about talent for a while now. And with the Biden infrastructure plan – uh, with some of the a, a variety of uh, pushes, especially in the Mid-Atlantic and, and New York area for service-disabled veteran-owned small businesses, and with our backlog growing, we need, we need talent. So I'm trying to figure out, in this industry, there's no such thing as like just-in-time talent, right? You can't just, you, you don't get the contract and then put somebody there right in time. You have to you have to build a relationship. You have to understand who they are. You have to understand the client's needs because when we're connecting people into projects, um, that person needs to not only fit our core values and our criteria, but also different projects have different dynamics and different paces. So trying to figure out what is the best way to bring people into the MCFA, a player uh, flywheel, if you will, and then get them on the project right in time. Um, we don't want to overinvest in talent. We don't want to underinvest in talent. We want it to be the right person at the right place at the right time, and that we're we're making money as quickly as possible after that. Uh, because we're professional services, we make money on people's time. So, I mean, that's it's really the problem set. But I think everybody and and the book I recommended last week is called The Talent War. I think everybody struggles with this, right? It's whether it's, you know, BJ Kramer at MCFA or Bill Belichick at the, at, you know, the uh, New England Patriots, everybody's trying to figure out how do you get the best players on your team? And then how do you put them in position to succeed? And to, to say I have the answers, I'd be crazy. Uh, but I, I think I have the best practices and those best practices are very, very, very intentional interviewing and recruiting processes. Um, and our, I think, you know, talk about building the plane while you're flying it and trying to, you know, make things happen. I have put out a very hard recruiting process. It may be so hard that we're, we're either saving ourselves time from 99 bad candidates because the one candidate that is going to see this and is going to say, you know what, I can do this. It's, it requires you to write a proposal. It requires you to put together a 90-day plan of how you're going to 
impact our business. And and all I'm looking for in these these different tasks is one responsiveness, two quality of delivery, attention to detail, not sloppiness, three the ability to communicate, and four the confidence to say, this is what I'm going to do, and I be- I believe that you should believe in me. Um, and if somebody's not willing to do that, not willing to go through the process, then they are actually self-selecting out and saving me from 99 bad interviews. Uh, when you don't, when it's a tight labor market and you need talent now, you start, you know, thinking, should, should I go alternative routes? And I, I really, you know, the, my heart of heart says the right person. And I keep saying, you know, whether that's me or whether that's somebody else on our team, I know that that person, if given the opportunity, would do this. So we're going to we're gonna keep it there. Um, was there anything else on that email that stood out to you? No, just the concept <laughs> of just-in-time talent in general. But I, So I, uh, let me re, you know, jump in and just say, I think just in time talent, you know, I look at it as in the company, outside of the company, it has to be an in the company thing, right? I need to be grooming at every level. We need to be, we should be filling the base of our company with a whole bunch of college graduates that fit a variety of degrees that we need. And we need them to be kind of finding their way into different projects. Um, so, I've talked about hiring five five junior employees this year that are graduating. We're trying to get interns in um, to identify in to, to identify them even earlier in the uh, in the process, so that get exposed to us over the summer. You know, see what we're about. Maybe we're for you. Maybe we're not. Um, no pressure. But the the more talent we can bring into our doors, the more we can start figuring out. You know uh, how how can we utilize that skill set? Because a lot of the time in professional services, opportunities beget opportunities, and people beget people. So the more talent we can be bringing into our world and grooming them, the the more clients we're going to be able to serve. And and at the end of the day, inspiring people in places can only happen if you're connecting our people to projects and problems out there in the marketplace. So, you know, one of the things we talk about is the idea of return on infrastructure. And there's this idea of return on talent, right? Mm-hmm. To bring somebody in. But how devastating is a bad hire in your industry? Brutal. Um, I think I talked about it. It was the hardest. It's the leadership challenge that I've I found the most difficult here. I mean, it's, you know, the, the turnover, the you, you make money on people's time in our industry. So if you don't have the right person in that seat, the recruiting to get the right person there is costing you money, but not having somebody in the seat is costing you revenue. So if you don't have somebody serving the client, you're not in a position to be billing the client. Now we have a, we have enough flexibility in a lot of our projects and with our team that, you know, we can cover down and we can, we can manage schedules to, to most optimally deliver to those clients. But there are some projects where it's really, it, it's really a staffing type environment where you have to have the staff to be able to build the project. And, and 
you know, if you don't have that staff, you're losing revenue. So uh, turnover and and lack of recruitment is is an expensive uh, proposition for us. So what advice would you give to people that are listening that are going through that now? You have to you have to identify what your needs are, and the better the better you have your plan, um, and you know whether you're an entrepreneur or you're in a in a large organization, you have to know what your needs are further in advance. Our problem is we're responding to a market, um, so contract vehicles, client problems, client projects. I've I've put in contracts or or proposals and gotten them awarded 18 months later and then not gotten a task order on that contract for 6 more months. I mean it's it's a devastatingly slow um procurement process or sales cycle and it makes it very difficult to plan. On the government agency side, you should, you know, you have a more robust uh HR system you probably have a harder time, you know, they have an, they have an equally for, for as long as their uh, sales cycle is, or their procurement cycle is, they have an equally long HR cycle. So, you know, it's, it's some of the encumbrances of the bureaucracy. Um, Some of the ways they can identify talent is to use companies like us to get people in quicker and then figure out if that's the right person to move into a, to a, uh, the right job. Not that I want to be necessarily giving talent away to our clients, but you know, in some ways, if we, if we can serve a client with a project manager, a project leader, or a technical, um, person that can then go fill a longer term need outside of that project for that client. And it's a win-win, you know, by all means, I've seen that be a successful strategy. So, um, my advice is, Talent identification, talent recruitment, talent cultivation is the number one role of leaders. And that if you're not in the in the talent development game, get in the talent development game because, uh, like we talk about in the in the army, you got to be able to do. You know, everybody should be able to do the job of you know two men down and one man up, two women down, one woman up. Um, so the only way to do that is to have an intentional mentorship uh, process in place. So now, BJ, what we're going to do is we're going to transition to Accelerate. And we're going to close out this in- interview by asking you some rapid-fire questions <laughs> that you ask all of the guests on Inspiring People in Places. So the first question is, what's a current event or public policy, society issue that you are actively involved with? So... I am the president of a nonprofit swim club, and it's it's the swim club that uh, I grew up swimming for, uh, Jersey Wahoo Swim Club in South Jersey. And I, I came back, when I got off active duty, I came back to the Philly area. I got involved in volunteer coaching, and as I was having getting ready to have kids and uh, start building the business... I realized I didn't have the time to coach, so I got involved in the board. And I was thinking, eh, you know, I'm kind of getting in the business world. I can just help out, you know, at board meetings. Thinking that was, uh, you know, enough, or or that was 
that was going to kind of check the block of giving back, but not be a huge burden. Turns out nonprofit boards do a whole lot of work <laughs> and it, it is a second job at times. But uh, my college coach said to us when we were graduating, he said, the sport of swimming has given a lot to you. Find a way to give back to the sport. And this will not be the quote that I, I use, but um, I've launched what's called the Friendly Strife Foundation. And it's it's in honor of the Douglas MacArthur quote that we're made to memorize at, uh, at Beast Barracks. Upon the fields of Friendly Strife are sown the seeds that upon other fields on other days will bear the fruits of victory. So inside of Jersey Wahoos, we are working on a character and leadership development program because I think that coaches have such a powerful platform for changing and, and not just in the swim pool. I mean, like across the country, you know, youth sports is a religion um, and there's good and bad to that. Parents are, can be absolutely out of their minds, um, but coaches have a really impactful platform. And I think that if we can help coaches use that platform to teach leadership character uh, we might have a winning formula. So uh, in honor of Douglas MacArthur, Friendly Strife is focused on funding, you know, that that type of curriculum rollout. That's great. So if the MacArthur quote isn't your favorite one, what is? Steve Prefontaine, to give anything less than your best is to sacrifice the gift. I think, I think we, I mean, it, it's always hit me. Steve Prefontaine always kind of inspired me. Uh, a gritty runner, uh, taken too soon. Um, but, and, and maybe running and swimming had a lot to do with it, but I think that we're all given gifts and, uh, we, we've got to find ways to maximize them and, and become the best version of ourselves. And as leaders, our job is to help others become the best version of themselves. So, uh, I'll go with the Steve Prefontaine quote. What's your most gifted book? I gift a lot of books. Uh, you you would think being the one that asks these questions, I would have that off the top of my head. Um, the greatest salesman in the world is one of them. And it sounds like a used car salesman, but it, it reads more like a, a religious experience. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is another one, which kind of changed my business thinking. But I'm going to go with Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. All very good books. All very good books. Dead or alive, if you could hang out with three people for a day, who would they be and what would you do? Bill Bowerman. So Bill Bowerman was Steve Prefontaine's coach um, for Oregon. And he was also the partner and founder of Nike. So he's the one that in invented the Nikes and Phil Knight. Uh, so I think Bill Bowerman, he was an experimenter. He was, he was an entrepreneur before his time and a track coach. And he took, uh, he took that role very seriously. Um, I, I think George Washington um, first president of the United States, a, can you imagine everybody wanting you to be king, right? And, and 
saying like, no, 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 my time is up. Uh, so he was that revered. He was that well-respected. And then he was also that humble to say, you know, that's, that's, we're getting away from the monarch. We're, you know, I think that's a powerful move. And then uh, Walt Disney. I think Walt Disney saw things that nobody else could see. Uh, he was scrappy. He uh, almost went uh, probably bankrupt a hundred times, but he kept kept pushing, and, and he he saw what nobody else saw, and he had the the tenacity to take action, and he had the endurance to see it through, or or almost see it through. Um, so there we go. Walt Disney, George Washington, and Bill Bill, Bill, Bowerman. Bill Bowerman. I can say, and of all the times I've heard this, that's the first time I've heard those three used in a, <laughs> in a, in a combination. But I will say, I'm always drawn to the Hamilton book when yeah. George Washington became president of what did it mean to be presidential? Yeah. And how subconscious he was about that. And I constantly find myself, you know, thinking about that. Hmm. And then the last thing, legacy. What do you want on your tombstone or how do you want to be remembered? Um, so I've heard this a number of different ways. Um, and, and the inspiration for that came from, I heard it in a Stephen Covey. I heard it. I heard it because I was on audible a Stephen Covey book. Uh, when general Schwarzkopf was asked, what did he want on his tombstone? He, he said a good man who loved his family and served his country. Um, I would like the same thing. Uh, a good man who loved his family, served his country and, and created value. Um, I think that's, I think that's what I want. So as we close out this first interview with you, because I think we need to get you back on to talk <laughs> more about being a father and a husband while running a business. I think a lot of listeners can benefit from learning that. That's just my two cents. Maybe I'm home. Maybe that's what I want to learn about how you're able to do it all <laughs> on top of being a nonprofit, uh, CEO, president, right, board, president on the board. Uh, but as you have your listeners' ears, uh, what close remarks do you want to leave them with? I, I would, I would uh, go back to how we started this: inspiring people in places. I mean, like, if if this touches one person, great. If it gets that person to touch one person, even better. Uh, I think that our job as leaders is to show up prepared to inspire uh, others. And that comes in a bunch of different ways. That's not just being the rah-rah coach. That's also uh, having the perseverance and and making the hard decisions and and doing the hard stuff. But also, you know, highlighting our core value at MCFA of like, don't forget to have fun, right? Work work should not be a bear. Every now and then we have those projects that are bearing down on us or stressing us out, but find the ways to have fun because I think through fun, we find inspiration and um, life's too short to, uh, to not enjoy what you do. You know, whether it's eight hours a day, 10 hours a day or more, you know, it's a, it's a big portion of our life. So the other thing is to go find a company that you can go have fun at. So if, you know, uh, selfishly, if you're interested in talking to MCFA, come talk to us because, I think we have a lot of fun projects going on. We have a ton of work going on and uh, you shouldn't be suffering in your job. You should be finding a place that you can go thrive. Um, 
and, and become the best version of yourself professionally so you can be the best person, best version of yourself personally. That's all I got, Mike. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you letting me interview you for your platform. How about you do us a favor and close us out? I uh, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, I, I don't have it in front of me, Mike, but uh, let's see. See if I can remember. Um, do us a favor. Subscribe to Inspiring People Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite hosting platform. Uh, we'd greatly appreciate if you took the time to le- leave us a review and shared with other entrepreneurial public servants or anybody you might uh, think might get value from this. Be sure to visit our website at www.mcfaglobal.com. That's www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter and take a look at the MCFA DNA. And like I said, we're hiring junior and senior positions available, intern to executive. If if you're identifying with anything that's on our job postings or anything we're talking about, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, We've got a diverse portfolio of work and, uh, and it's growing. So uh, we need to grow with it until next time. Have a great rest of the week. Thanks.